following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming out. I'm just going to lead off, start off in prayer. Just get every. Get us all, get all our hearts in the right place, Lord. Please help us to uh, to hear you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to be here, working among us, opening our minds and our hearts up to you, Lord. Helping us to learn learn the things that that we need to about you, so that we can live the life you want us to, Lord. So we ask for your anointing on this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so uh, if you remember last time I gave a message, we talked uh, about God's view of uh, us as believers and how we had to accept that. And today I would like to talk about uh, the place uh, the place we hold the Holy Spirit it's in, and its empowerment in our lives. Uh, <laughs> you remember uh, the Holy Spirit, right, guys? The, the third person of the Trinity the one who regenerates us so we can accept Jesus, then seals, sanctifies, and empowers us. The Holy Spirit that's always with us, and many times we tend to ignore. Um, we all who are we all who are saved by the, the blood of Christ are indwelled by the Holy Spirit uh, for sanctification. But even in this, uh, this we have to be a willing pro- we have to be a willing partner. God doesn't force us to do things; He never has. Um, so we have to be submitted in the process. But we also have to ask for and accept the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, do you ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Or do you just take for granted that He's working? Um, today, so today, today, I'd like to take the time to uh, perform a spiritual checkup of some type of where we are as individuals, as a church, and in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, This isn't going to necessarily focus on doctrine. I could go through the the whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit, through the whole Bible, um, and we can do that sometime. But today we're just going to check on where our hearts are, where we're willing, accepting of what God has for us. And I want to start by sharing some scriptures, and then I'm going to share a a story that I wrote about it, kind of like last time. I've written these stories, teaching stories, and now I'm seeing why I was able, why I wrote them. I can use them for, <laughs> I used to sit on them, and now I can use them. But, so we're going to start off by reading Joel, uh, 2, 28 through 32. And this is in the Old Testament, and this is talking about the time to come with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So, all right, we, we, we all receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved. But in the Old Testament, they didn't. The, this Holy Spirit came upon certain people. We have a gift that they all yearned for. It was just certain chosen vessels that got to hold the Holy Spirit then. And without the binding of the Holy Spirit, we would not be a church. We would end up, we would end up being like Israel, constantly being failing and being punished and then going back and failing and being punished. But the Holy Spirit holds us together and empowers us as a church and allows us to, to, um, to worship the Lord in spirit and not in flesh. So when it says here that it pours, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that means all of us, not just certain, certain people in this church. That means every single one of you has received the Holy Spirit, the gift of God, the gift of the Lord. So now we're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read that. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are variety of, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as God wills. And my question is, is do we look like this? Is this what, I, is this what the church is looking like? Is this, what we, is this what we do in our individual lives and as a church? And my other question is, is who didn't get the gift? Raise your hand if you didn't get a gift from God when you were saved. Anybody? Right? Okay. Because I'll talk to him later if that's... We'll make sure that you get it. <laughs> um, so we all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But like all of God's gifts, he doesn't force you to open it. And I've written a story to share some thoughts that I have on this. Some of, the, some of it is familiar, but focus, focus on the handling of the gift. And in the uh, the action, the dragon's actions in response. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit afterwards, because I do better if I have something like this to focus on. So, 
So I'm going to read this, and I like stories because it gives brings both parts of your brains together. You get the creative side going and the logical side going at the same time. So, and uh, just kind of focus on. Uh, there's a young man in the story, and you need to focus on his handling of the spirit uh, of the gift of God. So, some of this is very familiar, but that's the part that's going to be important to focus on. All right. So we need to put on our childlike faith and listen to our story. There was once a beautiful and a peaceful land ruled by a good and powerful king. The king loved his people like they were his own children. And in the land to the north of the blessed and majestic land was a thick evergreen forest, which is filled with deer and bear and rabbits and many of the other creatures you expect to find in a dense woodland with a cool, dark climate. To the south lie beautiful fields speckled with growing animals and lush green crops and orchards bountiful, bountiful with fruit and nuts of all sorts. To the west was a majestic snow-capped mountain range, pristine and imposing. The great sea, rhythmic and glimmering, was to the east, and it was filled with boats carrying cargo and fish caught from its plentiful waters to and from the pier to sell their catch and goods. In the center of the land stood the great king's castle, shining like the purest silver, majestic and imposing, yet always open to the people of the land. A magnificent rolling river ran out of the city's castle into the land, branching into many brooks and streams to water the orchards and the crops. The waters also were provided for drinking and household uses, for everything that the king's water was used for remained whole, healthy, and plentiful. There was also a great wall of solid stone placed around the lands. This wall was placed there by the king's father, an ancient known as the speaker. It is told that all things known came about by his thoughts being spoken aloud, and it is also told that after it was spoken into being, he gave it all to his son, the one that we know as the king. Now, in a warm, humble cottage near the wall between the great forest to the north and the field to the south lived a kind and hard-working family. They had a small orchard, gardens, a workshop, and a small mill powered by a gurgling brook. And this family was my family. And we lived in perfect peace. And because of that peace, I never questioned our perfect lives. I just accepted it. Unbeknownst to me, in a short time, my views of our lands would be, va- would be vastly changed. And there were three of us. Me, a young man old enough to work with my father, but still young enough to be called a boy. My mother, whom I'd always known as a hard-working, loving, and orderly. And my father was always curious, with a somewhat childlike look in his eyes. When people spoke of them, there was something mysterious, like he knew something about him that was important, but it didn't need to be discussed. I didn't understand what that mystery was, but neither did I fear it, knowing my father was a right and kind man. In fact, most would think of him as quite ordinary, if not for the story that I'm about to tell you. On a warm summer day in the mid, in the mid morning, my mother sent me to the city gate to sell some of the vegetables we had grown in our garden. It was our people's custom to buy and sell in or near the gates. This is where the elders met to discuss business in the city of the city and carrying out the wishes of the king. I usually made it a habit to sit next to the elders so I could hear what they were discussing, hoping I could become wise by listening and one day become a leader of the city. Most days they spoke of common business and law, 
Today, though, they seemed to be discussing something from the past. And this intrigued me due to the fact that the past was rarely, rarely, if ever spoken of in a place where the future was secure and past steps were paid for. So they spoke of things I had never before heard about our king, his land and his people. I became so curious I approached the elders about what they were discussing. With a strange unspoken agreement, they sent me to speak with the king. Now it was the king's habit to leave his quarters open so the people could approach him, unhindered for counsel or merely for the company he enjoyed keeping with his people. So I decided the vegetables could wait. I picked up my produce and immediately set out for the king's chambers. And when I arrived, the king had been expecting me, expecting me and eagerly invited me to enter. When I told him why I was there, the king grinned, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said, Your father knows the story quite well. Ask him what the elders were discussing. And the king gave me the message to pass on to my father. Tell him that it is time to pass on the story, and I grant him permission. I thanked the king for his time, although I felt more confused than when I had arrived. On the way home and during dinner, I thought about what I had heard and, and what had been told that day. I arrived home exhausted from the day, and my father returned later than usual from work, so I stored up my questions for the next day. Still contemplating the day, I drifted off to sleep, listening to the comforting voices of my parents discussing the day and speaking of things married people speak about. The next, <laughs> the next morning, I woke up a bit early, and my father was already tinkering in the workshop. And my mother quickly prepared some breakfast, gave me a kiss on the cheek, and sent me out the door. I raced to the workshop and quickly started about the work of cleaning up and assisting my father. In the activities of the morning, I nearly got, I nearly forgot about the events of the day before. As the urgency of the previous day filled my thoughts, I began to think of ways to approach my father. Should I just ask him outright or wait for a break and slowly lead into it? What would be, would he be upset that I hadn't come to him first? The one thing I was sure of was that the king had asked me to do something something of great importance, and it needed to be done, no matter how nervous I was. I knew the king loved me and that he, he could be trusted in all things, but the question was how, not if. As the day went on, I felt as if I might explode. Then as I was working, a word came from my mouth, and it was almost as if working released my mind from the binds of the anxiety that I felt, and the word just popped out. Father, I interjected as we were going about our work. I heard the old men in the gates of the city speaking of a time when the king left and a great war was fought for the city. It sounded as if it were not that long ago. Is that true, Father? Yes, it's true. But it sounds like you don't believe it to be, replied my father. I continued in a perplexed manner. Well, it's just that things are so peaceful and beautiful here. But what they said doesn't seem possible. And my father asked me, did you... Did you ask the elders to explain to you what they were, were discussing? And I answered him, that's the thing. I have the most, that's the thing I have the most questions about. When I asked the elders what they meant, they told me to take my questions to the king. When I approached the king, he sent me to you, which seemed odd, him being all-knowing. At this, my father chuckled, and with a twinkle in his eye, that's the same way the king reacted, I said, surprised. After a brief pause, my father put down the gadget he was tinkering on for the king and looked out the door and saw the sun was high. He told me to grab my lunch and meet him down by the brook on the rock that we often fished from. 
When my father went into the house to get the lunch that my mother had prepared for him, she told him I was so excited that I had just grabbed a piece of fruit and then run out. A bit like his father, wouldn't you say, my mother quipped. My father laughed. And my mother looked into his eyes and said, I've seen that look before. You're going to tell him the story, aren't you? And he returned my mother's deep gaze and replied simply, it's time. His mouth curling into a humble grin. As he made his way to the rocks, I called out to him, over here, father. And my, my father had never seen me so excited about anything. So I hurried down and sat next, so I hurried down and sat next, so he hurried down and sat next to me. Somehow I knew my father was ready to tell me something of great importance, something to treasure. My father told me to sit close and listen carefully, and he would tell me a story of the land that, they, that we love so much. He sat quietly, his eyes looking somewhere unseen, a place that only spirit of a man can go. Then after a few moments, moments he began to speak in a meek yet excited tone that I had never heard from him before. There was once a great creator whom we don't see, but has the power to speak whatever he pleases into existence. In fact, he spoke a beautiful city into being. The creator then left the city to be attended by his son, whom he named the king, who he named king, and bestowed upon him all the power and authority. It was a beautiful city with room and provisions for all who entered its gates. The king ruled with power, justice, and mercy. And above all else was the love he had for his people. In addition to his unheard of love, he selflessly granted each person who entered the city a part of his power to bind them together with all the inhabitants of the city. This power also helped the people to become more like the king every day. The people of the city lived in peace and safety as long as they stayed within its walls. Nothing could enter the walls without the king allowing it. But outside the the walls, the king's sole enemy lurked, the great dragon. You see, the great dragon used to help the creator rule the city before he gave it to his son. And the creator made him powerful and beautiful. He was a magnificent creature, but instead of being grateful, the great dragon became filled with pride and thought himself equal to the great creator. In his pride, he attempted to destroy the king, setting himself in the king's place. The king banished a dragon to to dwell forever outside the city gates. The dragon was filled with deep hatred for the creator and the king and all the people they loved. The dragon vowed he would have his revenge. And in his rage, he ravaged and enslaved those outside the city wall. Those who resisted were devoured. And now the dragon was even more furious because the king was expanding the walls of the city daily and releasing the slaves, allowing them to become citizens of the city. And no more did they fear the dragon once they were released, draining the dragon of his power. Even though the king was more powerful than the dragon, and the dragon was quite aware of it, he would boast about his own power, spewing threats at both the king and the inhabitants of the city. The dragon would try to frighten the people by falsely warning them that the wall would someday fall and that he would be merciful to those who surrendered sooner the king would reassure the people daily by speaking to their hearts through the little piece of himself that he had gifted each one of them. This lasted for many years until one day the king announced that he was leaving for a long journey to help his father, the great creator, with important business. And then he returned after he had finished. The people panicked. They asked who would protect them from the great dragon and when the king would return. But the king would not tell them when he was returning. 
For you see, he wanted the people to trust him. The king did, however, tell them that he would protect them from the dragon. The king told the people as he left the city that his great power would be left behind. And they could use it whenever they needed to defeat the dragon, expand the city, or free the slaves. He also left three instructions. Don't forget me. Continue to expand the walls of the city. And most importantly, don't allow the dragon to deceive you. After this, he had one more thing to reveal to his people. I have placed a a special way of using the power inside each one of you as a gift, proving my love for you. Learn to use it for the sake of the city, as well as for one another, for it gives you authority over the great dragon. The time had come, and the king announced his departure. A great sadness fell upon the people, even though, even though the king had made such a wonderful promise. Just as, he has pro- just as he had promised, the second the king passed through the gates, the power fell upon the people, and they responded with praise and rejoicing. They did remember his instructions for a while. The city was expanded, the dragon was defeated daily, as long as the people were obedient to the king's, king's parting instructions. But the dragon was as wise as he was evil, and he knew that if the people of the city, what the people of the city were like before they entered, the dragon knew that the people would fall into complacency when he looked, when he took away any challenge or reason for them to think for themselves. For a while, the dragon attack attack stopped, and he waited patiently. At first, the people of the city were wary of the dragon's actions and kept on guard. Over time, the people began to forget about the dragon for, the, for longer and longer periods. This is because their lives had become easy and quiet. They even stopped expanding the city. The leading citizens of the city were content with the way things were. Why start another war? Over time, thinking changed to the point that they didn't even realize that they were past, so passive to begin with. They just sort of lived a happy, dull existence and forgot the king's instructions. After all things were so good, they no longer had a need for the king's gift. The dragon knew it was time, and he attacked the city. And with none left who remembered the gift or the instructions of the king, the great dragon easily conquered the city and enslaved its once powerful and free inhabitants. He destroyed and killed at will. But the worst thing the dragon accomplished was to turn the people who were once bound together by the king's power against one another through fear of him. The dragon sent himself on the king's throne and proclaimed himself to rule of all known lands, ruling this way for what seemed to be uncountable years. As this eternity miserably passed, all the memory of the king was lost. In fact, an interesting thing started to happen to the dragon. The same complaints that had affected the people of the city began to affect the dragon. He also forgot the king's promise to one, that he would one day return. All memory was lost, but the king left behind a reminder that his father had given him for, a t- for when the time was right, for he was far wiser than the dragon and fully understood the hearts of the people. At a time appointed by the king long ago, a young boy serving the dragon was summoned to the beast. The boy was commanded to search the castle for a mirror so the dragon might gaze upon his own beauty and his extreme vanity. If the boy didn't find when the dragon threatened to devour him, the, fr- the frantic boy searched, the, the frightened boy searched frantically. He went to the lower holds of the castle, tried to, 
to try to find some rooms that may not have been previously previously pillaged by the dragon in hopes that he may have that there may have been something left behind finally after searching for what seemed hours and this was measured by his fear he found a room that had not been entered but the door was locked in a state of panic the boy picked up a rock and attempted to break the lock but to his great surprise it just popped open as if it had been waiting for him all these years when he entered the room when he entered the room was dark and the air was stale the boy looked around and saw books statues and drawings things that dragon would never allow the person who lived here was free to think and imagine as he explored the room the boy felt something he never had before it was a strong feeling a feeling that made him think that things could change or even get better the boy put, quickly put it out of his mind for fear the dragon might find out as he was searching what appeared to be after wiping a thousand years of dust off a white glass orb set on a small set on a small silver stand the boy thought he had found something important and that if he had if he bought it brought it to the tra- dragon he might be spared even though he had not found a mirror but the longer he peered at it the more curious he became he didn't know what it was or what to do with it but he came to know that he was not going to give it to the dragon the orb brought the boy joy he really didn't understand what he was feeling he just knew that it, he didn't want it to disappear so he hid the orb from the dragon so the creator wouldn't take it so that the creature wouldn't take it from him the boy would hold it and look at it when the dragon was distracted on one day when the dragon <clears throat> was distracted admiring himself the boy was holding the orb and it slipped from his hands and shattered see the boy didn't find the mirror that day he found the orb and the trappings of the room as he was leaving placed by there by somebody who might need it at first the boy was devastated he thought that he would never feel what the orb gave him again then in the midst of the large shimmering shards of glass lay a small scroll with a seal he didn't recognize his mind told him that he shouldn't open the sealed scroll for fear that the dragon would find out and punish him or kill him besides he couldn't read it anyway the dragon didn't allow reading or anything that was a anything that wasn't about servicing or worshiping him but something in him told him told the boy to open it no matter the consequence he hesitantly broke the seal and fearfully unrolled the scroll to the boy's utter astonishment he could understand what it said the scroll spoke of a great king an unfamiliar power and a city and a city inhabited by free people the most surprising of all was that the scroll spoke spoke of the dragon it's it stated that the dragon had tricked the people of the city and they possessed a power that could defeat him this meant the dragon could be defeated but how could you defeat that which is undefeatable at least the boy had convinced had been convinced that the dragon was the boy would read the scroll whenever the dragon was occupied as he had with the orb as he read it over and over again it told him the people had a power and special gifts to defeat him defeat the dragon the boy still didn't understand what all this meant he didn't feel any power or possess any gifts or so he thought the time of day was approaching when the slaves were forced to praise and worship the dragon as he entered the great hall to worship the boy had the feeling that he had that he had while hand, handling the orb 
returned to him. As he stood in the hall, he was driven by something unexplainable to approach the dragon's throne. The boy stood there, dwarfed by the awesome creature, and the dragon hissed, How dare you approach my throne, you weak and pathetic slave? The boy was terrified, but he didn't run. Something he couldn't explain stopped him, even though he thought he might die from fear. The dragon addressed him again in contempt. Give me your name before I devour you. The boy, still reeling in fear, fear continued to stand his ground. This time, though, he felt something growing inside him that he could not, that couldn't be held back. And that's in a word, in utter, and he uttered a single word that the dragon hadn't heard in a thousand years. The boy said simply, no. The dragon became furious and dived at the boy to destroy him for his insolence. Because the dragon was also frightened. The boy had discovered the secret and the beast didn't want the others to find out. The dragon was too late. As he, as he was mid-leap, the boy commanded him to stop, sending the dragon to the floor with a thundering crash. The boy had discovered the gift and found his words could affect the dragon. The battle was on and they fought for days. The dragon couldn't harm the boy unless he was allowed, unless he allowed it. And the boy was able to repel the dragon, but he couldn't kill him. As the people watched, they began to wonder if, he, if they had the power also. They discovered that if they found enough courage to stand against the dragon, they would receive the power. They joined the battle and learned, and learned they each had a special way of using the power to defeat this dragon. Some used words, some healed those harmed by the dragon. And others perform miracles of different types to encourage the people and deliver them from the clutches of the dragon. It was the gift the king had promised a thousand years ago. More of, the, more of the people joined the boys' ranks daily, but there were still those too afraid to join the fight, even though they longed for the freedom of those standing against the, dra- against the dragon experienced. Over time, little by little, the dragon lost his hold on the city and was eventually forced outside its walls again. The great dragon was defeated, but he wasn't dead. He still attacked the walls day and night, but the people were diligent and kept the dragon at bay. The people fought so hard the city was even able to grow again. The only problem was that one, the one who had written the scroll was still missing. The people knew at this point that the power had come from the great king the scroll spoke of. The question was if, when or even if he would turn. With this unknown hanging over their heads, they still continued to fight the dragon valiantly. And during the most intense fighting yet, what appeared to be an old man walked slowly up the road leading to the main gate of the city, seemingly unconcerned with the battle going on over his head. The dragon launched at him, but the old man calmly just raised his hand, and the dragon was sent tumbling into a, tumbling a great distance. When the dragon regained his senses, he realized who the old man was. Fear filled the dragon's heart, and he returned to his former lair in the crags of the mountain, a short distance from the city to recover. As the man entered the city, the people wondered who he was and how how he had such great power. The old man somehow knew their thoughts and began to speak. Long ago, you were left with instructions by and power by a great king whose heart was filled with love for all of you. He promised that he would return when he was done with his business. 
and the people knew at once this was the great king that the scroll had spoken of. They began to praise him and describe what had happened while he was gone. And the king replied, I know what happened. I was watching you the entire time. (coughs) The people were amazed and wondered, how could he have known? And again, knowing their hearts, he replied, remember the power binds us together. So I knew, so I knew and know everything about you all the time. And the boy found the orb, stepped forward. The boy who found the orb stepped forward. But this time he wasn't afraid. He was humble and curious. And he asked the king, if you were watching, why didn't you help us? And the king said, I did help you. I left my power and the instructions. I also know the dragon would trick you. So I let you suffer to learn and trust and obey me, even when it appeared that I wasn't there. The orb was the way I helped you when you forgot me. And I knew you would even in the la- and I knew that even the last battles would, would mature you. Then the king proclaimed, "Because you have endured my testing, I will kill the dragon, and you will live in peace." So the king summoned the great dragon, and the dragon appeared in a great fury, never seen by men before and never to be seen again. And the people gathered together in a great awe to witness this last battle. To the surprise of the people, because of the tremendous expectation of the clash of the powers, the king just raised his hand in a brilliant blue bolt of lightning struck the great dragon, reducing him to a pile of dark ash. Then a powerful wind arose and blew him into the great sea, and the dragon was destroyed and never heard from again. And the people finally understood the true and unmatched power of the king. The king took his throne and commenced the rebuilding of the city, And he built a new and exceedingly beautiful and a majestic city, unlike anything before it or will be again. The people were never again to be bothered by evil or pain of any kind, and the king and his people lived together as a loving, peaceful family. And the people knew the king as they were known by him. As for the man who was once the boy with the orb, he lived joyfully, life he lived a joyful life with his family, serving the king and taking care of the people of the great city. Though every once in a while the king would call the man into his chambers, which were the man's, which is where the man's journey began, so long ago as a frightened young boy, and they would speak of past adventures and deep power and, of course, curiosity. After my father had finished his story, I sat and thought about what I had just heard for a long time, and I slowly turned to my father and said, "You're the boy in the story, aren't you?" That's why the king told me to ask you about what the elders were saying. And my father humbly said, you're right, it was me. He also told me that I was responsible to pass the story on to my children and those who didn't know the story. So the people would never again forget how loving and powerful the king was and is and ever shall be. And as we sat quietly, I again broke the silence and said, that is where you go for the long walks you've been taking since I was small to see the king. Yes, and you will now start those long walks with me, now that you are ready, my father replied. And from that day on, I never saw my father the same way again. As we returned to our home in the orange light of the setting sun, we were met there by my mother, and she asked, What could you two have been talking about all this time? My father answered her, Well, you know, our son is just curious. We all entered the house laughing ate our dinner and entered into a sleep only living in such a peaceful and perfect place could provide, could bring, especially when you understood how it came to be that way. So,
so what I wanted to ask is, where are we as a church? In the sense that, have we, have we broken the orb yet? Have we really taken what God has for us? Have we maybe forgotten the gift? You have to ask. You can't just expect God, God's not going to just constantly, in, if you're constantly, um, in a, kind of in a state of not expecting God to work, it's not going, it's not going to happen that way. So, are you happy, are we happy looking at the orb? touching it, getting the feelings from it, or do we want to break it? Do we want to, do we want to go through that part and uh, start, to, uh, start to work through the Holy Spirit? Because uh, yeah. each one, we all have to choose for ourselves on this. But remember that your choice affects all of us. We're all bound together by the, the one spirit. What we do affects the entire church. We, um, I wanted to talk about this a little bit just because it's on my heart a lot. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily always ask for it. And that comes, and that's myself too. We don't do our work through the power of the Holy Spirit. We just expect the idea that God is going to take care of whatever we ask Him to do. Um, we want we want a blessing, but we don't necessarily want to give ourselves over to something as scary as the Holy Spirit, because it can be scary at times. So. Like the boy, we need to come to a point where we break the orb. He did it accidentally, but we have a choice. We need to, we need to accept, are we going to break the orb? Are we going to move forward in our relationship with the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to um, stay the way we are? And that's an individual choice. And that comes, and, but, but like I said, it affects all of us. It affects all of us in a powerful way. The, the future of the church rests on whether we can act in the spirit or whether we act out of our flesh um, and just make plans and, and work things out the way that we normally would in any other part of life. So, but, uh, and then at the end, I would, I'll give you one warning. Or a challenge, depending on how you receive it. Don't break the orb if you are half, happily comfortable or you believe your life is your own. Because if you don't, if you do it, your life will never be the same. It's, uh, life in the spirit can be hard. It's challenging. Because life in the spirit isn't necessarily the same as saying you love Jesus and then going on through your life uh, without asking for the help, the help from the Holy Spirit. Um, 
So I, I just challenge everybody right you know now let's let's take a take some time and think about each each one of us stop and think about where we are with that and where we want to be. Um, and I'm not talking about barking like dogs and rolling in the aisles. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry if this is a little disjointed. I've had a little bit of a rough time this week, so my I'm trying to keep everything together. <laughs> so. Um, but I, I want us all to think about this, pray on this, um, and think of yourself as the boy. What are you going to do? Where are we going to go with this? Um, because not only does it affect us as individuals, it affects the whole church, but this affects the whole church all over the world. Th- this is something we have to get back to. We, uh, the, the, we've become afraid of the Holy Spirit, I think, and we've become afraid of what it brings and that... Um, you're gonna might be asked to do some things you don't want to do, so um, let's just pray on that as a family and see where it brings us. So, Father, we ask for your anointing over all of us, and we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us in the name of our King Jesus. We ask for your for your hand to to work in our lives. Bring us opportunity to minister, Lord. Bring us opportunity to use your Holy Spirit, to be used by the Holy Spirit. And help us to see our gifts and ask for that empowerment, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.